0: we have started okay. well welcome uh, Catalina Nicolescu
1: thank you very much okay. hello
0: great to have you here um, great
2: to be here
0: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> is this your first podcast you're doing
2: yes oh. yeah
0: well I haven't done that much many more I think I, uh, uh, this is the 10th maybe okay I've been doing. the first first one was actually with Jonathan
1: all right actually I forgot I used to have a band when I was young Yeah, we did some podcasts with a band in Germany. Um,
0: So you taped it and put it on the internet, no?
1: No, it was for a radio station. We did for a radio station. Yeah, so we played live. That was quite scary, actually. So we had an interview and we had to play
0: live. Yeah, because this this is absolutely not live. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I know. (laughs) Everything, everything but live, right? Yeah. Uh, what, kind, what kind of band
1: was that? It? it was a 60s garage band, uh, all girls, we had an organ, yeah. bass, guitar, and our singer was also our drummer. Yeah. So she was playing standing and singing at the same time. Yeah. It was really fun. Cool. What, was what were you doing? Guitar. You were a guitarist. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I ah. had a great time. I was uh, with the band for five years and oh. then um, I sort of had to decide between art and music because yeah. it got, got too much. I either had to finish my diploma yeah. or go on tour. Yeah. And I know it might sound super boring, but I decided to finish my studies.
2: Yeah.
0: No, it's. Uh, I don't know. I was. Um, I played a lot in my room, just with my own band. Yeah. <laughs> as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. But I I, <coughs> I. I can relate to your choice. Not not that I had any success at all, but uh, or played at all but uh, I think it's a different path music or or art
1: it is and also in music you're always going to have to work in a group whereas as an artist you can work for yourself and that makes such a big difference this is what I realized after five years because you really have to compromise all the time and you cannot just take a decision by yourself it's always going to be a group decision so that's quite hard especially when you go to art school and you're educated to become this very uh, (laughs) forward-thinking individual exactly (laughs) how to say selfish so it's it's Mm a yeah almost complete opposite careers and then it's also about entertainment music is so much more about entertainment and being out there for the people all the time mm. they can look at you you sort of have to be in a good mood mm. that's something time. that I, I mm. find quite difficult as well but um mm. for the time then it was amazing I yeah. really loved it yeah. we had great experiences so, so how
0: did the band take it when you quit
1: um we didn't speak for a long time but now we're <laughs> <Yeah>. friends again <laughs> oh, that's good to hear yeah
0: that's good to hear <laughs>
1: yeah uh I guess we were all pretty young and um I don't know. It did break my heart too to mm. leave. It mm. wasn't an e- easy decision at all. But also, I had invested too much into fine art to say, "Okay, I'm just gonna give give this up and and become mm. a musician."
0: Mm. Well, so, what what made you made you decide uh, to do art in the first place? That it was such that it overruled the music, uh, so um, to
1: say. I just always felt like there was so much out there that could be translated into a visual language. Mm. I I decided I was going to become an artist when I was 16 and everyone laughed at me at the time. Even Mm. my parents were like, yeah, yeah, just finish your school first and then Mm. we'll see. Then I finished school and I was like, okay, right now I'm going to art school and everyone was pretty shocked. Mm. Um, but I got a lot of support and, um, yeah, I guess I really... Uh, even as a child, I always really loved making things, cutting things. My father used to laugh a lot because I was always chopping. Now I ended up making lots of collages. And all yeah. my work, even when you think about film, it's editing and chopping. So, yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> I have God. a background in trying to cut things. I like that.
0: Uh, well, that's, that's funny that you mentioned it. Because, because how do you relate to... to yeah. Uh, each each individual artist has <coughs> has so to say their own path. They work or their own language, or you know, their own. Uh, uh, that's medium, maybe or me- medium, yeah. so to say, or yeah, not only medium in physical, but also in in uh, in the um, uh, in, in the expression or in the you know, as you say that you that it comes down to chopping. or... Yes, to, definitely.
1: You know, I mean, I can when I look at my work, it's always been that even. If it's photography you know you select a specific image from the environment mm. so it's not
0: and do you, you know, chop up your pictures after that again
1: no i wouldn't say i do that but i th- i find the collaging already take pla takes place when you pick um the when you frame the image so um, and then it comes down to the selection of images which again for me is a, a collage because mm.
0: Yeah, because you, you see, if you select images, uh, like at the slideshow you showed at Demon's Mouth now, on Friday, yes. uh, that is one work, so to say, right? Yes. It's not individual pictures, it's one work, so no, it was 80 slides which turn into, as you call it, one collage. Yes, uh, exactly.
1: Uh, mm. Which I guess the drawing of the performance brings it together as a collage, but then mm. the end result is a drawing, mm. but the process is the collage, because you superimpose one image after the other, which, mm. again, they have been selected from, uh, I don't know, different roles of film, from different environments, and different architectural backgrounds, and mm. landscapes, so mm. that's, I mean, of course, it's not a collage in, in the normal sense of the word, I'm not...
0: Yeah, we're using a quite broad yes, uh, explanation, but, I like but that, that. that is fine, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: And yeah. the films are similar when you think uh, about it because I record a lot of footage. And then when it comes down to editing, you, you take the bits that you need and then you attach mm-hmm. the next bits. So mm-hmm. I find photography is very similar. It's just um, mm-hmm. because film you cut, you can really actually talk about a collage. Photography you don't cut, but then you select. So
0: Yeah, well, well you've but with film also, if you cut, you you create a new thing which is a thing on its own I think or can be a thing on its own it can also yeah. be a collage where you just have snippets together which really don't don't uh, don't fit together or you know, fit together but not in a in a logical mm. or in a even a aesthetical sense maybe
1: the way I work with photography is very similar because yeah. then I I select one image of the specific journey that I'm doing or one postcard of the specific journey mm-hmm. journey and then again the display of the collages that I'm uh, of the postcards that I'm showing at Demon's mm-hmm. Mouth mm-hmm. is in a way a collage again
2: mm-hmm.
1: so mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah but yeah as, as you said it's a, a broader explanation a peric- yes
1: yeah. it's not actually cutting yeah. the paper and sticking it gluing it to
2: a background
0: mm-hmm. uh, I uh, I feel that uh, in the last years, there collages have been quite popular among artists. I mean, I make collages myself as well, and okay. been doing this for a long time too. So on and paper or on on everything. On everything. Yeah, yeah, on everything, but uh, mm. but I've noticed just a lot of people uh, take that route lately. Mm-hmm. I think. You are
1: I, I like the idea of taking something that is existing and then um, putting it in a different context mm. and then creating a new piece out of it.
2: Mm. So
1: I think this is what's interesting for me in collage. If I make collages on paper, then uh, I most, most of the times I use photographs. Mm. I cut them into yeah. pieces and then I add layers of paper, of drawing, of watercolor, of Indian ink. Mm. But... Um, yeah, I think it's that mixture of found material, which can be a photograph that I took, but it's still sort of found for me, mm. or postcards or found papers from magazines. Y- you
0: reappropriate uh, the material as, as yes. such. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No.
1: And you, tell me about your collages. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I should have shown you before, maybe, but I didn't bring any device to show. No, I uh, um, the last collages I made were. Printed on on plexiglass, mm-hmm. and then uh, with with sticker foils and metals and wood and all kinds of stuff. I just build upon that image. So they're
1: um, abstract, or you use a photograph.
0: I use That's a photograph, so they're they. I wouldn't say they're abstract. No, they well they abstracted, mm-hmm. but not abstract. So they, uh, but they they relate. They, they also often relate to some kind of architectural quality in things mm-hmm. not necessarily only buildings but also um, uh, I, did, I did a huge series where I took pictures in a, in a stone mine
2: mm-hmm.
0: where they cut, you know, cut stones out of those things and, and of a, a, a stone yeah, where they, they separate the different sizes of stones for gravel and stuff like that and the structures there so I did a, I did a huge project with that where I worked with these, these images.
1: So about material,
0: mm. like more or less. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have a very big love for material.
1: And, and me
0: too, actually. Me. You'll yeah. see in the films yeah. tonight. Yeah. 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 yeah so uh, yeah. tonight you're showing. Uh, um, I forgot the name again. I'm so glad
1: that That's it's okay. I can tell... Yeah. I can say what I'm yes. showing. I'm showing three films that mm-hmm. have been made in 2011, 2012, and 2013.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I thought of them in the beginning when I first started the first one, which uh, took place in Romania. Yeah. It was going to be a trilogy, but they ended up... Because obviously as an artist, you evolve. Yeah. And even as a filmmaker, you evolve. <laughs> I mean, it sounds bad. Of course, you evolve as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. So... The way I was looking at things in 2011 was a lot more formal and um, I guess the film that I made in Japan last year mm-hmm. was a lot more free, yeah. so it doesn't seem as conceptual as the, the one from 2011, but anyway, so I made a film in Romania in 2011 where I was looking at modernist architecture versus yeah. vernacular architecture and how vernacular architecture in Romania influenced modernism. Because I found this book, which is, it's a really beautiful book, it's called Romanian Modernism. And they were saying in that book that Romanian architects were, were one of the few, some of the few who didn't travel abroad to look at That's, other yeah. influences? They, uh, like Corbusier, went yeah. to Africa, or yeah. I don't know, Miss Fandero went to Japan. Yeah. But uh, the Romanians stayed in the country and looked at traditional folk architecture, incorporated these elements these into yeah. modern architecture. So I was really interested in going and traveling around and seeing how that happened and how these influences came about and of course this architecture is always in relationship to the landscape so that's something that um, connects all three films it's always the the architecture within its surroundings and the landscapes and how this evolved but then again also juxtaposed with um, traditional folk architecture in
2: these countries
1: then the second film made in 2012 was shot in california yeah And I was looking, I was very much interested in the idea that uh, Mm -hmm. in Europe modernism was more or less a socialist idea, whereas in California it was imported by the rich and powerful.
0: It was not a capitalistic idea?
1: Exactly, it turned into something completely else. I don't don't know if it was a capitalistic idea from the beginning, but it was definitely the the better off people who were able to um, commission modernist architects from Europe um, to get to have these houses built purposely. Yeah. For yeah, if, you if you look
0: at Iron Rand, for example, the, the the Fountainhead, which deals about modernism and capitalism and all kinds of stupid stuff. Okay. Uh, you, you, yeah, that, that, that I would translate. Well, that I, th- I think there was a reflection of, one of the re- re- refractions of uh, modernism in America, which was... Yeah, much more capitalist based, much more individual based, yes, much more it. expression it's of the individual, yes. uh, individuality than of the
1: how mm-hmm.
0: hey, we as a nation are are pushing forwards to these ideals.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, but what was interesting, of course, is that modernism was still built by European architects. I mean, the biggest, um, the most influential architects in California were Richard Neutra and. Rudolf Schindler and they were both Austrians mm. they studied in Vienna and then went on to study with uh, Frank Lloyd Wright mm. I think in America and then they partnered up and got most of the commissions in mm. California and this is where they became famous but also of course you have lots of Californian architects mm. that I don't know
0: yeah. um, it could also be that you just stumbled upon these because maybe because that was of my your interest your yeah exactly own.
1: I mean there are people like Leutner and mm. many I mean, Frank Leutner right but I wasn't necessarily interested in Frank Lloyd right because he is again very particular he looked a lot at it's much more ornamental his architecture, so mm-hmm. he looked at Mayan influences incorporated them mm-hmm. in into his architecture. So I was more interested in. I was one to like
0: him, but I somehow I can't get really myself him to do either. it. I like him either.
1: I went to see some of his buildings in in LA, and I was a little disappointed. It felt very heavy
2: and yeah. very earthy. I don't know, yeah. but I mean, it's yeah. still groundbreaking architecture. But yeah,
1: it's yeah. not my favorite. Anyway, coming back to L.A., what was also very interesting was, um, of course, Los Angeles is a very artificial city. Oh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I had the best time. Yeah. And I mean, I wouldn't have this show yeah. where I um, yeah. would not have gone to Los Angeles. Cause yeah, that's how right. I met Jonathan. So. Yeah, that's right. But, um, so I was looking, it has, I don't know if you know Rainer Banham. He's an English architecture, he was an English uh, architecture critic. Mm. Amazing man. And he loved Los Angeles too.
2: Mm.
1: He wrote a book uh, called Los Angeles and it's four ecologies. Mm. And there's also a film made by him in the 70s called uh, Rainer Bernhambler Loves LA. Mm -hmm. Um, So I found this book. Just before going and i was reading a little bit about la and um, decided that i was also going to look at the four surrounding ecologies in los yeah. angeles because obviously the architecture is always in relationship to mm, to, the, a, yeah. to the landscape so yeah you have everything you have the ocean you have mountains you can you, you have, have the desert, desert you have the, you have yeah. the plains and yeah. uh some forests if you exactly. up, the, up the coast Exactly. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the film. And then one of the main other parts of the film is uh, an architectural style called Googie architecture, Mm -hmm. which apparently transformed from pure European modernism. uh, And it became this pop phenomenon of American modernism, Mm. which was much more available for the bigger public. It was employed in commercial buildings in motels. Diners. I'm sure you know it. It's just that the, the name Googie doesn't say anything to anyone. No, but the style, but the style. I'm sure you know. It's it was uh, influenced by space design. It started yeah. off in the '40s
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, by the car culture. So basically, because Los Angeles was set up to for people to to drive. Yeah. It was connected by motorways. <laughs> Um, they came up with this new idea of how architecture should attract people from the street into the into yeah. these commercial buildings yeah. so they had to create these absolutely crazy shapes crazy colors uh, they also employed them
0: um, yeah because if you zoom by the buildings you know you don't notice them after a while right so you have to have landmarks to know
1: that's it exactly so yeah. they they were trying to, to create this um, I mean,
0: even if you think uh, if you look at the water and power buildings in in Los Angeles have you seen them? Yes. They are quite, quite weird and, and distinguished even. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I find that a lot of architectures very weird and distinguished yeah. in L A. This yeah. is what's amazing. I don't think they had um, restrictions as such. They, did, they definitely no. didn't have the way... Um, they didn't have to deal with the problems architects have to deal with in Europe. Yeah. Because you have... I
0: think now they do. Now they do, yeah. definitely.
1: Yeah. I think now the new place to go crazy is China. But yeah yeah, yeah uh, that's where all the big architects
0: go at least exactly. I know the Dutch ones are so. yeah, yeah, yeah. they' are very happy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: because they uh-huh. can finally realize their dreams yeah
0: they they can realize the utopias which and and the sad thing is they you know uh, th- I think that that is uh, the, the the main fault in architecture that they, they think they can solve the world with architecture and uh, and you know th- you some of th- some
1: of them think, yeah. Some of them just want to design crazy things. As well. well, and then
0: I had I heard a interesting uh, another podcast about the architecture and uh, where they mentioned the architecture and basically all the architecture you see today is just an expression of the architect and if you look at history, you know all the building that remains and that, that you know that we put value in is is basically had big building where the builders are almost anonymous, mm-hmm. right and and uh, throughout all history, right? All whatever thousand years we had. Right? And of course there was a maybe a king or thing attached to it or who who uh, you know who promoted his or her pyramid or or his or her castle or, or his or her church or whatnot. But but in the end the built you know, the person it's only now that the architect is such, you know, the architect's ego Uh, This is displayed in architecture, and I don't think that necessarily is a good thing or an interesting thing in the long run.
1: No, I don't think so either. I think, uh, but at the same time, you know, architecture became something else for a very long time. They were concerned about um, architecture's integration into its environment, Mm. but it doesn't seem to be a subject anymore in architecture. I think they surpassed that stage. And now, okay, now they are trying to find new models for cities because um, obviously it doesn't work the way. And also in Asia, they are starting to build cities from scratch, so everything is planned.
0: Well, they do that. And then and then the setting changes, you know, factories go bust, and the cities stand empty, right? Yeah. So, and, and that's why I say you can't plan a city or you can't plan a country, you know, because uh, the systems we live in, especially nowadays, are so complex and so world-encompassing, that you, you, can't, you can't plan that. And, and so, because you try to you know, create utopia, and, which doesn't exist in that way, right? Utopia only exists in acceptance of, of being, right? Of, of being whatever you are. Yeah. Right?
2: I Ex- mean,
1: utopia is a dream. It's, it's, uh, many people had visions for utopias. Let's take Corbusier. Mm-hmm. It's very utopian. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I mean, his architecture was a lot about his ideas and what he wanted. So, he Must was a bit of a despot like that. Yeah, yeah. and And
0: and it's hell to live in these things, even though it's nice, right, but it's hell to live in these things because you always will be referred, oh, you're living in that Corbusier house. Oh, you're, you, that house is never yours and you, you can never make it your own because it belongs to to some kind of other thing.
1: foundation and you have to stick to the rules of something yeah. yeah so
0: so he so you applied
1: to the people how they have to live yeah, they yeah, couldn't paint course. their balconies they couldn't put their, of their blinds down and, and that
0: is that is just dictatorship yeah
1: yeah exactly that's what I was saying yeah, yeah he was yeah, yeah. a dictator yeah. And he had his very... I mean, that's why I don't necessarily think that this idea of um, realizing your dream as an architect is a new one. Because he definitely... That's mm-hmm. what he was doing that was exactly that. He didn't care yeah. about the people. He didn't care about yeah. what they were thinking. He never asked. And
0: and I think for me, with, with many architects, that's where it goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because no matter what... If you're building... You know, it is for the people. You know, the people pay it, the people uh, use it, the people live it. And your vision, how genius it ever it may be, you know, will never encompass all. You know, c- you can never make a model that suits
2: everything.
1: I agree. Yeah. On the other hand, I think it's very hard to, to make um, democratic decisions about how to how to build something.
2: Absolutely because true too, yeah, here. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I, I had a job in uh, market research for a while when I was a student. Yeah. And we were researching on magazine covers and we were giving people the option to choose a picture, a specific typography, colors for the magazine cover. They went for the most horrid things that you could imagine.
2: Yeah. And the problem the, is, yeah. as
1: a designer or as an artist, you just don't want to give people these uh, options, This right? reminds
0: me of, 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 there's an artist who, or it's probably many artists who, who did that, uh, uh, where they exactly had, you know, they would make, like, what people really wanted. Yeah. And I mean, what happened were just, you know, the most, I think it was paintings they were making, the most kitschy landscapes with, you know, just, just just awful, right? Yeah. And so, I, I you know, I, I agree with you. I think uh, as a, you know, if you're in, in, you know, the creative world, it's your job that you also educate of what, exactly. what I mean, aesthetics means. mean, and we
1: went to school. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. But no, no, no. But you yeah. know, like pe- everybody nowadays thinks, uh, everyone can be an artist and you can to a certain extent, but...
0: But can you be a good artist? That's the question.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a big, Big question. Mm.
0: Or can you be a good architect? Or can you be a good anything? Yeah. But that's true. I mean, in the times. We, but I, I, I. That part, I, I actually don't want. I think it's nice that everybody tries to be everything just for trying out, and because because you learn a lot from it. Because you find out, you find your limitations, and you find other limitations than you would have found if you would just kind of stick to, to what you've been taught and what you've supposed to do, right. So it, it, it opens up a movement or a, a train of thinking and also an acceptance and an understanding of, of, of uh, uh, you know, the complexity of the world, which I think is a is a, is a benefit. So, uh, you know, with this architect, I'm very twofold about it, right? Because I think, I mean, I do believe, you know, I mean, uh, uh, that a certain aesthetic or a certain uh, dedication, you know, will make a difference in, in you know, because I've been interested in space all my life how space influences us and how Mm -hmm. how it shapes our thoughts our emotions our movements our our development our you know our every every second of our existence right and so it has an important role and but it's not of course it's not the only important role but but it has a huge impact on on what we do so of course if you if you do it with care and dedication you know and and you no, know, you. I think that's very important. Yeah, know?
1: and you need visionary people to change mm-hmm. the environment and the way we live. Yeah, yeah. And maybe at the time it was a good idea to do what he, what copies he it did. It was
0: probably necessary um, because everybody was probably suffocating on, uh, uh, you know, it's under small, the old system yeah, or whatever exactly. that was, right?
1: Small, dirty. Yeah flats and yeah. uh, horrible living c- yeah.
0: circumstances so yeah and you have to also take into account like now probissier is a known name and everything but you know when he when he was working you know he might not be as known he wouldn't you know we wouldn't have a conception of it already right so mm-hmm. he you know, there's always a difference in in uh, uh where you stand in your per- uh, development and what kind of perception is thrown upon you, right?
1: Exactly. I have an example for uh, For example, from Bucharest. Mm. Lots of people are complaining that Ceaușescu <coughs> demolished a very old part of town. Mm. But um, it was actually a, a very old part of town that were slums. Mm-hmm. So people were living in unhuman circumstances. Mm. And, okay, maybe it's not a good idea to eradicate to beautiful old quarters, but they were not really beautiful. People didn't have uh, electricity, they didn't have current water, they didn't mm. have heating. The same and happened
0: in Paris with houseman who, who uh, yeah, exactly. took the whole city apart and built up
2: again.
1: Yeah, so he demolished his quarters. Ob- obviously, he demolished lots of uh, heritage, but there he was actually trying to do something good for the people and not... Mm. and yeah but of he probably
0: did it a bit in a uh, wrong way the yeah
1: of course I mm. mean again dictatorship I mm. feel like everything that I don't know mm.
0: yeah but uh, you bring up a, a valid point I mean it, it always has to, people are, tend they, to be sentimental always, about yeah, things after it
1: always you know? has two and, sides and because then all of a the sudden these people had new fresh flats with all modern conditions and mm. maybe they were happier
2: for but that's a, that's a
0: thing uh, yeah, that's the thing with happiness you know, happiness doesn't th- uh, <coughs> a friend of mine was <coughs> a friend of mine was was telling me here that that they did a research in Norway that you know if you basically it doesn't matter if you earn over a certain part of uh, a salary here you know it doesn't make you more happy or less happy underneath there you know you might be more unhappy because you know just your your basic needs or your whatever isn't, isn't or you know, you have to struggle more, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, uh, and although struggle is very important, struggle can also suffocate you, so, um, so, so if you come over a certain amount, it doesn't matter if you, you know, if you earn, like, 10 million, or, or, or 3 million, or, you know, 500,000, or whatever the number was, to the, uh, the bottom number, uh, you know, to 30,000, or, you know, whatever it is, right, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, um, so that in was quite interesting. So after a certain amount uh, uh wealth doesn't make you more happy or not. It doesn't make you more unhappy either, you know? It's just it doesn't yeah. make a difference. It doesn't
1: make a difference.
0: Uh, I thought it was an interesting thought and and so I do believe you know if you if you uh, uh, but on the other hand like Norway is a good example. It goes very well here in Norway and uh, we have everything we need and everything is met, but still I mean still people are also unhappy here. You know, because uh, even though all basic needs are met with most people,
1: mm-hmm. you know. Um, Do you have lots of homeless people?
0: Mm, there's a, a you. You got your usual alcoholics. There's a there's a big uh, hard drug problem here. I think. Okay. With, uh, but I don't, I wouldn't say more than anywhere else as such maybe but. Um, I mean, you, you have your social inequalities here. You have yes. people who really struggle to make ends meet and... and you know I maybe mean?
1: probably less than in other European countries. But
0: whole in all, I mean, you get a free healthcare system. You get, uh, you know, you, uh, you don't have any real unemployment. Uh, you know, you have a, a country which isn't in debt, mm-hmm. but in the plus, which... Do
1: yeah. you have minimum wages? Yeah, yeah. And how, how high are they...
0: I think your minimum wage should be around hundred and twenty kroner, so that is.
1: Uh, Which is double the amount of uh, England.
0: Yeah, but I mean that that is one thing, but I mean your expenses are also easier yes. double here. So so in the end, it, it, the I same. think it works about around the same. You maybe a bit less or more, but I mean I, I don't think the difference is, is as such that big because uh, yeah. Okay. So.
1: What's the average rent that people pay here?
0: I wouldn't know actually that much okay. but I think you know for uh, if you if you would rent like a 50 square apartment mm-hmm. I think you would pay around 12,000 crowners.
1: okay so 1,200 uh, pounds
0: is it 1 to 10 now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. okay About that's uh, no. that's not bad that's not bad but, th- but then you get a really basic thing you don't have anything special if you want to be in a nice neighborhood it can be easily double okay so or triple or quadruple
1: of course I mean it was always a <laughs> more expensive <laughs> solution yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no,
0: so um, no but uh, but
1: generally there's less poverty here than
0: uh, yes I um, mean it's a it's a wealthy country you yeah. know, thing, you know there, there's a high standard of, of, of everything and in general the systems work reasonably well and uh, I mean so but still of course people complain still people you know suffer or or feel oppressed Why do you
1: think, because you know how people say a uh, Copenhagen is the happiest city in the world and apparently people have the best, they say and they think they have the highest living standard mm. and uh, happiness apparently is mm. the biggest in Copenhagen. Why do you think it's, because these countries are very close and Norway that is maybe n- mm. even more prosperous. So... Mm.
0: Well, I, I think um, Norway is more prosperous than Denmark, mm. but but that's basically based on the oil uh, they have yeah. and on the on the huge fishing economy, and uh, but Norway is too expensive to produce too much, so uh, so it doesn't produce that much, but uh, um, I think uh, you know I think happiness is quite interesting uh, as such, but I don't think that uh, wealth doesn't buy your happiness but wealth doesn't not buy your happiness either in the end uh, you have to define what happiness is and, and if you look at it it's an emotion that comes and goes right yeah and which which sometimes relates to to materialistic uh, things you know you, you, you can't feel happy for a second uh, that you you know you got to you got a new tool to do your stuff better or easier. Well, yeah. yeah, new yeah. camera, cool. love yeah, it. Yeah, new camera, and you know that wears off pretty soon. Or yeah. you can be happy that you you know you achieve something, and you know that wears off again. And you can be happy because you're in good shape and good health, and that wears off and and whatnot. Yeah, so happy, happiness is. You know, I think, uh, uh, and also if you ask people if they're happy, you know, it really depends on how you phrase that question of how they answer, right. Mm-hmm. Because if you ask them, hey, are you unhappy? You know, they'll, they'll think, oh yeah, maybe I'm unhappy. Yeah, I'm mean, sometimes I'm unhappy, right? Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and of course that's true. And if they, hey, are you? Uh, uh, do you self consider yourself uh, more happy than the Danish or less happy than the Danish? And you say, yeah, uh, i feel much more happy, yeah, right? Of course. course. Yeah, exactly. So it has a lot to do with sentiments there as well. Mm. So, so, uh, but it is it is interesting that we we connect this happiness so much to that we that we treat it as if it's a, a static thing
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know something you can achieve something you can maintain right yeah well uh, well if you if you look realistically at you know how you how happiness throughout your own life comes and goes and you know you can link it to things but i mean if uh, i would say yeah well some people it would be a clear pattern because you know they're either easily satisfied or very hard to satisfy and only if they achieve certain things they're mm. happier. but I think that's the extremes. So I think the main main bun- bunch of people uh, you know would just have sporadic happiness and that can be just a, a chemo- chemical balance in the body where you know everything just ticks right and you just yeah. feel good and the weather is nice and you know you just hang out with some nice friends and or not even you're just at home finally having a quiet moment or, or whatever right yeah and that triggers your, 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 your happy, happy, uh, part in your brain. Mm.
1: I was actually quite surprised to find out that it's, um, in a northern country, the biggest happiness. Cause I always feel like when I go south, people are much happier or at uh, least they seem well, I was more, more yeah. jolly. And yeah. when the sun is out, the skies are blue. Yeah. Um, everyone's on the streets, but. But Apparently. that
0: that was a, I just yeah, I talked to you before we started. I was I just read um, um, Doom Fox by Iceberg Slim. Yes. And this this uh, this is about to get alive life in Los Angeles. Yeah. You know about it's written by Iceberg Slim, who's been, uh, who was been has been or was like a pimp for twenty five years. Okay. Before he turned writer, so okay. he he knows it belly up. And yeah. But he's a brilliant writer. He influenced uh, the whole whole rap scene. Like uh, Ice T is named after Iceberg Slim and Ice Cube, I think, as well. And so there's many reference. Uh, uh, Snoop Dogg, uh, of course, has a, you know has read yeah. and Slim and, and, and basically all the whole rap scene comes from there because he was one of the first who said, okay, you know, I know how it really is, and but there's a way out. Mm-hmm. You know, and just you know he he probably done everything uh, you know everything god forbids or you know everything that's lawfully unlawful you know he's done everything he probably even killed some people in this time right and and uh, abused people and uh, been being abused and what, whatnot and uh, but he struggled his way out by becoming a writer and writing super honestly and not glorifying it you know just you know showing both sides
1: that's what's most interesting
0: and I guess yeah but uh, you know uh, I, I listened to uh, um, uh, uh, no uh, uh, the introduction in this book was by IST actually and he said hey I, it resonated so much to me because it it wasn't just like hey somebody uh, you know who struggled its way out of the ghetto and just you know glorifies it or despises it right and it was somebody who still had his foot in the ghetto and was a real voice right so it was about having a real voice and it, you know that you can actually develop that and that's where you know the, the these 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 early rappers really got their guts from, I think. Not not specifically from Iceberg Slim, but just realizing, okay, wow, we can have our own voice and 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 developing that. But so he's he's writing about uh, you know, and I mean California is pretty sunny and warm and nice and stuff like that, and uh, but all these pe characters in the book he he plays, you know, they're they're hot hats right? They they, you know, they don't. Uh, you know they they're an unfortunate situation and you know uh, it, it treats couple- or it it, it um, I start to stumble now sorry no, that's okay. was bad at re- i'm always bad at uh, um, uh, retelling stories or or remembering the right way but it 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 just tells a story of of a couple of families how they through several generations basically develop and run in the same shit again and again and mm. again right and and uh I think this, this temperamental part, you know, this, this, uh, uh, you know, going up in a flare and doing stupid shit, which, you know, affects the rest of your life, I think is more, more, you know, if you, the warmer you get, uh, easier, the easier that is, that is, uh, used. This can, I mean, this is, uh, maybe very bad, uh, uh, um, I say, uh, reasoned, but, uh, you know if everything is good and I, I don't know if you know, here you have to uh, uh, I, or or it has to do that you're you know if it's warm you're much more on top of each other quite easy if Maybe it's cold you you seclude you're yourself
1: just much hanging more. out on the streets I watched yeah. this documentary about girl gangs in Los Angeles yeah and um, basically they're doing what their brothers and fathers were doing mm-hmm. And there's no real reason why they are in gangs. It's just because this is the way they grew up. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard. One of them was saying it's very hard to have a different parkour... When this is where your family comes from, and mm. there have been these gangs for generations and mm. generations, and they meet, they hang out in the street together, they go to the same yeah. schools. Because so these gangs,
0: they get, these gangs, give them a brotherhood or a sisterhood, That's it, right? and, that's and that is their a community. very strong feeling. Yeah, that's their community. Yeah, that's I, I, their when community is what keeps us sane and
1: if this is how you grow up it's mm. that they were saying that maybe 5% make it out mm-hmm. if they are from a gang family maybe 5% That's can go lot, to university and maybe have a better life but most of the times mm. and it's so funny because all they do is they copy their brothers and fathers attitude language mm. they beat each other up mm. uh, most of them have children at a very young age and I mean imagine how difficult it must be if you're already a mom when you're 16, 17 and then continuing going to school, that's not going to happen. I actually went uh, to Inglewood when I was in California and I did some filming because they have a lot of boogie architecture there that has not been taken down yet because unfortunately most of this architecture has been taken down Mm. So uh, I was filming a car wash Mm. and this lady comes up to me and she was like, cause people are very friendly and very open. They just talk everywhere. And she asked me what I was doing. I told her about my project and she she started to tell me her story and basically she was a prostitute and I think now she's um, sort of taking care of girls.
0: Yeah, she's uh, She's she's the the, madame.
1: She's the madame, yeah. Yeah. And I wish I would have met up because she gave me her number, but I felt it was really dodgy. (laughs) So I was in LA. I was (laughs) exhausted. You could have ended up there (laughs) uh,
0: for the rest of your life. (laughs) Exactly.
1: But um, (laughs) she was telling me how the entire neighborhood changed so quickly. So basically when they arrived, Mm. Inglewood was... um, very dangerous and Mm. it was mostly Cuban-Mexican she was from Cuba Mm -hmm. and the way she got into it was that um, oh yeah and also she was telling me a very interesting story that at the time in the 50s and 60s there was no such thing as a real drug policy in in America and basically all these Cubans and uh, people from Mm. Mexico were coming over with drugs and selling them on the streets and uh, they couldn't be imprisoned the only thing they could do is send them back home Mm. but there was no law against uh, drugs. so I think there was an an open American policy I don't know Mm. anyway so she was telling me that she got into drugs early and then she had this really abusive boyfriend who was a Mm. pimp and Mm. uh, this is how she got into it but you know she was telling me I didn't have a bad life Mm-hmm. she was in her 50s or late 50s I would say yep. she was in amazing shape really yep. beautiful she looked incredible Yeah. but for somebody who was abused her entire life to say I didn't have such a bad life I was um, that was pretty shocking
0: <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah but if you think about it you know if you live in a in, in a you know a, a semi-perfect environment mm. right and something right. bad happens to you you know the the hit is going to be a lot harder than that, you know, I mean, if, you know, everybody's being beat up by their bitch-ass boyfriend or, you know, being, being, whatever happens, right, you know, or they, you know, they're in fights all the time and, you know, they have to hustle for money and whatnot, right, if that's your life, right, that's your reference point, I mean, you know, you don't put the same weight on it as, as we might do. Right? Yeah, right? I think. So then also you you look differently in your life but it's an interesting point because i mean yeah it it is so in the end maybe just mentality
1: i think so makes how you you know how you perceive happiness or or
0: or trouble or whatnot yeah
1: did you go to inglewood when you were i
0: think i was in inglewood because i needed to Pick up some stuff there, so I hang hang out there on the street corner for a while, cause I had to wait for a guy. But I don't know, was Inglewood or Crenshaw or one of these. Yeah. These, these, uh, I
1: went to Watts as well. Cause I'd, I I driven been.
0: through all of them.
1: Yeah.
0: And the funny thing is, I never felt unsafe in LA. The first time I felt unsafe was in San Francisco, actually.
1: yeah yeah no, I only spent a few days in San Francisco. I, so I, I spent know. eight hours in San Francisco. And you felt unsafe? I I
0: had driven for 14 hours straight okay. along the Pacific Valley Coast Highway to San Francisco. And I ended up with an empty gas tank in some kind of neighborhood where, where the gangsters were hanging around the corner.
2: Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, so that was like the first time I actually kind of put my, my door things down. Yeah. And so well, I came out there, came straight into downtown which was Friday evening. So it was, I mean, I, after 14 hours of straight driving on my own, I was, that was too much. I went over the Golden Grape which in the Mill Valley. Yeah. Just this hippie community you know, uh, whatever, baby boomers uh, mm-hmm. place. Parked a car, slept there. Next morning, I was going to try to see a gallery that was closed and I just drove back. <laughs> that was fine. Okay. That was my <laughs> Why assignment. not? But in, in, uh, in I in mean, 99. you have to be sm- smart. I mean, you, you see when the bars come on the window Okay, you should it's be a true. bit more careful.
1: Although I have to say, I knew all this, but mm. I wasn't very smart. So, what I did is uh, maybe I, I told you already that I was cycling all around LA with oh my yeah. entire equipment. No, you didn't, no. no I didn't. No. <laughs> so, basically, I had my equipment on my bag, my tripod, my cameras, and everything in my backpack. And uh, in LA, you can take your bike on buses. So, mm-hmm. you can, because I was living down, downtown, I took a bus, which is the Silver Line, to yeah. Inglewood and they just put your bike in front of the bus on a rack yeah and then you take it off and they go via the highway so it's super fast taking yeah. the bus anyway i get off in inglewood uh get on my bike yeah. and then i see the first bumping cars yeah. with uh, loud music it? Yeah. and i was like oh my god what am i doing <laughs> here? so i cycled around the whole neighborhood for until the sun went down and then uh yeah. half oh. an hour half an hour before the sun was down, I was like, Okay, I have to get on that yeah. bus back because as friendly as people are Sundown is I a mean, different world. That's not yeah. you don't wanna be there as a girl on your bike with filming equipment, definitely not. No. And um I have to say I had a few funny comments but other than that, yeah. I think because they recognize you. Because you're on you, a bike, that's already that's weird it. enough. That's yeah. it. They recognize you as one of them because most people who cycle are either Mexican, yeah. of Mexican. I mean, of Mexican background, or it's definitely not the wealthy people. I mean, there are, there's a new movement now in, in California where the young kids, yes, where the young kids. A cycle a lot and it's mm. pretty cool and there's a big cycle community yeah. but the people who use bikes are the people that are not have don't have enough money to yeah, don't afford have a, a driver's car. license don't exactly. have a car Don't have so a, yeah. I think that's why and I could pass through as a Mexican like just by the looks so Very, maybe, maybe uh, yeah maybe they just thought yeah. you know let's leave her alone yeah like, or, uh, or
0: you know I don't know there's I think there's always something involved which is called fate I guess as well you yeah know, that's true luck <laughs> yeah yeah but uh, I think so because I mean you can run into the uh, in the most unfortunate situations where you never ever expected it that's right? true you
2: know yeah.
0: uh, what was it I think one of the coming to America Eddie, Eddie Murphy movie or something one of them where he says oh you're going to the to the hood oh that's dangerous do things and then you know they mm-hmm. meet afterwards and he's in this this white guy is in in uh, in bandage and stuff i don't know which movie it was presented but yeah he said yeah oh what happened to you yeah i got got, got stood up by a uh, by a swiss swiss or no with a was a swiss knife somewhere you know completely safe and on the airport or something silly and stuff like that so i mean you run into things Yeah, you can't be perfectly safe in the the roughest environment you 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 just have to
1: have your eyes open as well you have to be a bit smart yeah yeah. a bit streetwise. that's it and then um, but I had some amazing experiences I'm very glad I went there Mm. by myself Mm. and when I went back home and I told Jonathan and Molly, my flatmate where I went, had gone, they were both like, Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> you
2: went there by
1: yourself on Are your you bike. Crazy. And the thing is but I didn't know what Inglewood was <laughs> until I got <laughs> there. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had just done my research. I know I knew the streets and the buildings that yeah. I wanted to film, but I didn't do any research on the kind of, yeah. No, yeah, I yeah. didn't. But, but I, I, I had
0: like, this I had this experience as well that people were freaked out that I just drove because I drove around in town all the time, because I, I mean, just loved to see as much as I could, and they were just, I mean, but they, I think they're also a bit hyper allergic. Like they, you know, they make it bigger than it actually is, right? Yeah, because I, I oh. think
1: so too. I think mm. so too. They are. um <laughs> yep. they, may, they, may be too scared to even see and experience what it really is. Mm. It's true that segregation is still very big in mm. in America yeah, and yeah. in LA, and the black quarters are black and the Mexican quarters are Mexican, Mm. and the two don't like each other, Mm. and the whites live in the West, in the prosperous, Mm. but now, you know, in uh, Northeast LA, it's sort of started mingling, like Mm. the white, white cool kids, the artists live with the Mexicans in Mexican quarters, and Mm. hopefully it'll get better soon. But also I had this amazing, story. Mm. I just had this amazing experience in Englewood where I went to a cafe and I was the only white person in there. Yeah. At first everyone looked at me a bit funny, but they were so friendly and then I had some really nice conversations and I was asking them uh, about recommendations where I should go, what sh- yeah. I should see and in the end you just have to be yourself yeah. and people, yeah. I mean, you know.
0: And because, c- uh, you know, I lived in a really rough neighborhood when I was studying in the Netherlands, you know, where okay. they were... Were they uh yeah we were, we were I mean, me and my neighbor, uh, a friend of the same age, a neighbor he uh, we, we studied the same academy and, uh, so we rented a place, uh, a place there in the middle of, basically the, the Dutch hood as such you know they were running around with guns there and with yeah. drugs and oh, and whatnot okay. and we had a snack bar around the corner so they were hanging basically in our we, we were on the, in the on, the, on the one stairs up. So they were always hanging on stairs smoking their joints and hanging out and and i think they blew up twice our, our main door and, <laughs> and shit like that at but least it
2: wasn't boring
0: <laughs> no it was not boring at all well it got boring in the end actually because um you know I, I remember shortly before before i moved to somewhere else i came home and they were you know they were hanging out there and one of these guys came really aggressively to towards me and i just I just grabbed him gently by the shoulder and started to speak Italian with him and just moved to the side. And it worked. Right? And so so you learn how to deal with them and you just don't take it personal. You don't, you know, it, in the end they're just frightened. Yes. You know? And they're frightened of you, not the other way around. Yeah. And because, and you know, they don't understand where you are because you, you know, apparently you can just move free around in the world and they, they are stuck in that, in that hole, right? Mm-hmm. They have no no money to get out no education to know where to go no no real future no nothing right and uh, I, I got I befriended a bit with a guy who was really trying working hard to get his way out of there right mm. he was saving up a lot of money to get you know buy a place with a girlfriend but at the same time he was you know <coughs> involved in the dealing in the cokes in the car and, and whatnot. and I mean because he was from the net he had to right he had to he couldn't just be a, 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 a I say a, tight ass and yeah. not be part of it right Yeah. so uh, no I learned a lot from it but in the end it was just it's just tiresome because I mean these people they just run into the same problems again and again and again mm-hmm. because they don't learn right some of them do and they get out The five percent yeah yeah
1: but, but uh, <coughs> like I said I don't think
0: it's easy no absolutely not mm-hmm. no.
1: yeah so anyway, the next step, last film, yeah. uh, Japan. <laughs> yeah. So after, when I was in L.A., mm. I went to visit um, Schindler's house in, I um, don't remember what it's called, it's just in West Hollywood and he actually built it for himself and his family. Mm. And I got there and it struck me. I was mm. like, this is pure Japanese and mm. this is where I have to go next. Mm. because uh, obviously modernism was influenced by traditional Japanese architecture and I, I knew that for a long time, mm. but when I was there, I decided the okay, t- yeah. yes, mm. this is where I have to go because mm. it was so clear, it was right there, straight in my face. Mm. So I started doing some research and um, obviously I, I'm looking at modernist movements in different parts of the world and uh, I found out about this movement called metabolism which was the the only asian form of modernism and the last avant-garde movement in architecture
2: Mm.
1: and uh, it was influenced by corbusier a lot but the way we have to, to look at it is european architects went to japan looked at traditional japanese architecture came back to europe uh, developed it into modernism. Mm. And then Japanese architects came came via SIAM. Have you heard of SIAM? It's the uh, International Congress of Architecture, which was started by Corbusier. Mm. I think, I don't want to say anything wrong, but I think it was in the 50s. And then this guy who was a very famous architect and very big, uh, recognized teacher in Japan called Kenzo Tange, started coming to this congresses Mm. and became a good friend of corbusy's and he went back to japan took all these ideas back Mm. that were based on japanese ideas (laughs) and together with his students they uh, developed this new form of architecture which is called metabolism and the idea behind it is that basically this architecture or the urban structures can expand with demand. So the city and the buildings can grow with like a metabolic system with demand and increasing population and so on. So I thought that was amazing Mm. from so many different points of view. Yeah, I think I know
0: examples of that of (laughs) the 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 pot houses which could you just
2: uh,
1: exactly yeah, yeah. where you can mm. caps, uh, put more st- yes, stick exactly. Them on and what exactly exactly that. that's it so I went to Japan last year in September and I looked at again the way architecture is incorporated into nature what's what sort of elements they were taking when when they uh, came up with this architecture Metabolist architecture is also <coughs> rooted in Shinto belief mm. they have this idea that every nothing is steady everything comes and goes everything is renewed so the it's the philosophy of impermanence in shinto belief and i think that's very nice too Mm. yeah we talked about that earlier yeah exactly with metabolism and Mm. and uh, natural systems or natural uh, processes yeah Mm. So in Japan, I not only looked at metabolism and traditional Japanese architecture and its um, context with the surroundings and the landscape, but also I was really looking at Tokyo as a city Mm. and the system. So this is probably the next step in my films where I'm not just looking at specific types of architecture, but at... How cities have developed, how they are in the present, and how they might evolve in the future. Yeah. So I'm very much interested now in this next step of how are we gonna, where are we going with yeah, well, our yeah, architecture,
0: yeah, and yeah. our cities. And and I think that's a very interesting question actually, because um, our society or our world is changing so fast at the moment, <coughs> with with how information is is uh, um, moved around it. At lightning speeds around the whole globe all the time right yeah. and and uh, uh, so I think we we might not realize it completely yet but we're really changing the way how we deal with the world and deal with everything. and that will have its reflection in, in how we build things and how we. Uh, yeah. it already does I think definitely
1: you know? I mean they are they're wondering where it's gonna go because we have to if you think about places like Rio, or Shanghai, or Mumbai, um, we have to come up with models mm. for expansion. Mm. And that's that's really interesting, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And apparently, the most successful city parts are the favelas, the ghettos, yeah. Yeah. which is very interesting. And yeah. now architects are looking at this organically grown, growing parts of the city, rather than the plant, yeah. high rising, yeah. uh, which, you know, 10 yeah, years ago we were laughing at the favelas, yeah. but now they're
0: influential in Yeah, what well, we talked earlier about, you know, the, the favela is mm-hmm. an or, organism, you know, it develops after needs, it doesn't develop exactly. after ideas, and exactly. it doesn't, and, and I think, uh, uh, and of course you need a certain ideas so that, you know, you yeah, have your basic needs met, you have that water, you have got electricity, you have that, uh, you know... Uh, some kind of system just some public systems so <clears throat> so you, you know the system doesn't fall apart every every now and then, no. right?
1: but and if you think at the favelas they're also metabolic right they yeah. built wherever they found space and they have enough problems
0: there as well so it's not just yeah. uh, you know I mean I think they have more problems than they have benefits at the moment that doesn't mean that you can't you know change the systems in the in the, uh, into better better ones but uh, yeah no, but, uh, uh, you know, we as uh, a as humanity are uh, really facing some really huge challenges. Yes, definitely.
1: And, uh, mm-hmm. and Did you know that apparently by 2050, 80% of human population will live in cities?
0: Uh, we crossed the 50% bar, yes. I think, a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah, so 50%. And the funny thing is that population is falling in Europe. Mm. And everywhere else it's growing
2: Mm.
1: our cities are getting smaller and smaller but even the countryside is getting more and more deserted Uh, whereas in the southern hemisphere everything is growing yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. so it's not so much gonna happen here the problems are not gonna take place here really but But if you
0: (coughs) if you look at Lagos Yes, exactly. That's another one. They uh, this is this is gonna be expected at twenty million city, I think by two fifteen or something quite soon. Yeah. And nobody ever nobody almost I I just know about it because I saw a documentary about it. Yeah. Actually, I think a Dutch professor who has been studying that or I think he teaches either in England or America. But he um, (coughs) he went down there and, and just studied the systems, you know, how that works and how they know because uh, because it's so rapidly expanding right and, and how yeah. do they how do they operate how do they get their things done and and what doesn't go go well and stuff like that so yeah,
1: yeah it's interesting to see how because that's uh, I mean Tokyo is the first they have this new concept of a city called Meta City mm. and the reason also why I went to Tokyo is because it's the first city that is considered to be a meta city mm-hmm. it has or it it will reach 40 million inhabitants in a couple of years. So they are way over 30. 40? 40, for zero. Because it's growing together. Yeah, but not to Tokyo itself,
0: but you get all the other cities attached, which it, grow into each other, right? it yeah. grew
1: together with uh, Yokohama. So it's Yokohama and Tokyo and all the suburbs. Mm. Um, it's insane 40 million inhabitants. Mm. I find it works very well. It's uh, incredibly calm and well yeah. organized. Yeah. But I think that's also the <coughs> Japanese way of doing things because everything is very well organized. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious to see what's happening in other places where it's not as planned.
2: And, and then you go to Lagos. Yeah, well, exactly. Because exactly. yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. That's, that's where everything is not so, yeah. so
2: organized.
0: Mm. Yeah, but, uh, mm. That's also, I think, uh, probably has been always like this. But uh, uh, it's a slight way that you have to consider the whole world all of a sudden, right? I mean, you're—it's not enough anymore that you just, you know, uh, you deal with your city or with your country or with your continent, but you you have to take the whole the whole world in consideration these days. Just because you know you have an impact on the world and the world has an impact on you.
1: Yeah, especially when everyone. Everything that is built, I mean, okay, this sounds too like too much. Maybe it's an exaggeration, but Europe is building the rest of the world Mm. It's European architects going mostly I mean European and American
2: Mm.
1: Going to the southern hemisphere and in China everything is built by By European firms American firms, so Mm. we have a huge responsibility Mm. Which we don't really like to think about
0: well, the we is is bottled down to just a couple of people who really... Of course, you, know, are you and I think. are
1: not going to China and building skyscrapers and new cities from well, scratch. I, can, I, I mean, can, I wouldn't mind. I can I try, I? but I'll be
0: building in a long time, I guess. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say no as an experiment, but yeah.
0: No, but... Uh, yeah, but... No, it seems somehow to weigh down that, you know, we're, we're so many now and we we haven't figured out how to deal with, with ourselves. No. Right? And, and we come to a moment now that we actually have to deal with it. right? Yeah. And, uh, but but uh, for myself, I don't really know how to deal with it. Like, you, know, I, try, you know, I try to shift my garbage. I try not to buy too much shit. But you know, nonetheless, I, I buy way too much shit. I
1: now, For now, I think this is what we can do. Really make sure that we live in a thought-world way.
0: Yes sure that's that's i mean I think that is very important and and that should shouldn't be underestimated but um uh, I think what is needed is a completely shift in mentality and and but we don't know what a mentality can be or has to be right
1: yes i and don't know <laughs> because,
0: I, I mean preferably of course we we strive towards a better world you know and a world where there's you know, less inequality where there's uh, um, basic needs are met met for everyone and uh, you know and we uh, and we take care of the, this, this earth ball we're sitting on you know mm. and and I'm not sure if all these three things are met or I'm, I'm quite, quite I'm not a pessimist but I'm, I'm I'm you know I don't know what I can change in my own mentality if you know what I mean to to change the world
1: to change in your own mentality that's a good question but do you think you need something to change something in your mentality how would you like mm. to impact on the world let's say that I mean that's, that's a good, good
0: question you know what what, what am I, you know when you come to a yeah. very almost spiritual question you know, what, what am I here for right or what, you know what are you here for you know, what is your uh, what is your uh, your purpose and, and And what is your responsibility as well,
2: right?
1: One thing I can say is that through the internet, of course, I mean, that's, uh, everyone knows that, but the world has become much smaller. Mm. So we are, no matter what, we are much more connected, even if we don't want to, Mm. we are much more connected to Brazil, to uh, China, to all these places that before we might not have had any connection to. We are the first generation who's traveling so much. Our parents' genera- generation wasn't able to go to all these places no. No because no. it was uh, it was unthinkable. You you either had to have a lot of money and and yeah. if,
0: if you traveled then it was either for work or you made like a one one in what a lifetime exactly? one in a lifetime big uh, big vacation exactly
1: right? but we they didn't have exhibitions uh, across the world um, yeah, but no. yeah yeah you're
0: distorting a bit now i think because we as artists we have a tendency to travel more because we, we are we are very well equipped to to travel Uh, within the margins that's true
1: (laughs) definitely (laughs) so
0: so we we, and uh, and and there's actually a a worldwide art system which you know which which we can hook into and which gives us a purpose to be somewhere it gives us a purpose a reason to to you know experience things and stuff like that so um, I don't think we rep- represent uh, but the, the, the do you think in the
1: 70s it was possible for artists to travel as much as th- we do nowadays I think in the 70s
0: yes, yes yeah yes I think okay. 50s is a bit different because that was harder economic times okay. but um, but uh, I just read an article now as well I mean especially in Norway there's a really good funding system for artists right and and in which I mean it creates a certain type of arts but it you know i um, uh, uh, it, it uh, uh in a sense, it democratize it democratizes art, because if you uh you know if if art wouldn't be funded here, mm-hmm. um and you don't have financial backup, you can mm-hmm. more or less forget. It. I mean, <clears throat> unless you're you're prepared to live in your studio the rest of your life and 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 you know work day and night jobs and do your art on top of that, yeah. which is the case already if you do. Uh, you know, I have to juggle, uh, and jog uh, and some projects, and and my artwork, uh, mm. just to to make ends meet. Yeah. So it's uh and and I'm I'm doing reasonably well, I think, and and so you know if you take that funding away, you know I wouldn't. Only the people with with financial backing could do it, and and that's what you see, for example, in in, in the states. Primarily, people who do art. They are, you know, they are from well-off families, not necessarily rich, but you know, they have yeah, yeah, they, they have, have a, a financial, financial background. backing. Right? Yeah, yeah. And and uh, you know, and uh, no, I lost my point when I was talking about this.
1: I think it was about traveling.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and traditionally, all the artists. In earlier days, especially before all there were there were any uh, any grants or mm. or systems in place, you know, um, more or less the people who could afford to make art were you know people which uh, which has substantial financial backing, and they were traveling anyways because mm. you know, the, these people traveled, they always traveled.
1: Yeah, you know? it's part of being an artist to travel, I guess. Yeah,
0: so that the but only they might thing. They
1: traveled to the south of France.
0: No, something. no, no, no. They traveled <laughs> the world. They traveled yeah. to uh, Rio. Yeah, of course they did if you uh, yeah absolutely but uh, you know I think our view of the artist has been a bit colored by, by you know the artist myth of the, you know, the poor suffering Van Gogh or you know these poor artists in Montmartre and, you know mm-hmm. fighting for modernism or whatever they were doing right but that was just a, that's just a handful of stories which you know just was, were nice stories which resonated with the public and, you know, which people tend to cling on if they want to make themselves an idea of what it, what it means to be an artist. Mm-hmm. But, the you know, the, the majority of artists are, are, you know, people like you and me, I guess. You know, who, are, who uh, yeah, just, um, yeah, are somewhere in the middle, maybe.
2: Yeah.
0: I guess. But, yeah, so, so the traveling... Um, um, so the way, first of all, the way we travel, we we connect with local communities through through the art network, mm-hmm. as such. So that gives us a special insight in in how the world works, which is different than if you go to to a resort in Asia or if you go to, yeah, or sure. you, know, you or you go on a safari in Africa or or you know, yeah, do these kind of things, which are, in a sense, they're really nice experiences, but they. Um, um, uh, they don't necessarily connect to a local community. Mm.
1: Yeah, you don't feel like you have really experienced the country or the city unless you really spend time with the locals and live in a. Well, that you have space. a purpose there. Yeah, yeah, that you have
0: a purpose is that you're not just a walking wallet or, or. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Or you know, <laughs> yeah. or or. Yes, art. but
1: also living in a hotel, for example, does, is not the same as living no. in, in mm-hmm. a normal accommodation, like in a yeah. house, and no. hanging out with the people who are from the place.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's yeah. a huge difference. Yeah. And and I don't say that only artists do this, there's tons of people who do of that, absolutely. No. But but. Uh, but um, we're
1: going to make work, mm. and that's another purpose, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. And if we're not making work, we're sucking up it for later work.
2: Yeah, that's true.
0: So, so, uh, um, but nonetheless, I think, you know, if I, the first time I traveled by plane, I was 21. I flew, I flew to L.A. then, actually, but, uh, to do a three-month residency there. Mm -hmm. But uh, my son already traveled to Asia before he was one, or no, before he was two, let's say, before he was two. And he's been traveled up and down to the Netherlands, of course, uh, and Germany to meet family and stuff. So, I mean, just that... That pace is completely different. It's right? different. Yeah. I mean, of course, we did the middle middle Europe, so we could just drive, you know, to mm. to Germany or France or uh, Italy or Switzerland or Austria to fi- to go on vacations, but not uh, you know. So, uh, uh, yeah. so we weren't so dependent on planes, but so the first time I ca- flew and came out of outside of Europe was was actually
2: when I was twenty one. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, my my first flight was from Bucharest to Frankfurt. I was ten.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, my my wife, she she. If you're living in Norway, you know, you have to fly to get out of the country, right? Because you can't drive twenty hours all the time. So, so, so your geographic location has something to say as well. How how I think definitely
1: Germany, France, the Netherlands are spoiled because they're close to
0: everything. Yeah. yeah and uh, I mean yeah you you drive a you, you drive a day and you're in the middle of France and you, i mean it's beautiful yeah. there so why why go any further
1: exactly
0: and of course but so uh, yeah i do agree it, it became it, it has become more simpler and cheaper as well because uh you know i uh,
1: and apparently it's better now uh, that they fill the planes it's better to fly than to take a car uh, in terms of Uh, ecological impact
0: depends how many people you have in the car depends what kind of car you have
1: yeah but apparently nowadays people are tending to drive by themselves Mm. whereas the plane is always full of people I just recently read uh, an article on BBC News yeah Um, yeah
0: yeah right. let's do a small break and then uh, we'll uh, okay Mm -hmm. so we're back after our uh, Short break. Hi. Hi. Hi again. Um, But I think uh, uh, we can also close it up. I think we chit chatted long enough.
1: Yes, we don't want to bore the listeners. Uh, No. no.
0: The good thing is they can check out anytime they want. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Lucky you.
2: Anyways, uh, it was a pleasure
0: having you here
1: a real pleasure talking to you yes mm-hmm. thank you very much for having me yes
2: and, um, and
1: uh, we'll be back bye good night everyone, good night, everyone.